welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. Morning, I'm Mita. Good to meet you. <laughs> there we go. Hey, good morning, church. Good to see you all. Everyone feeling good today? It is always good to be here in this wonderful city, and uh, we love being with you guys and uh, being here at this church. And as Pastor Christy said, we met uh, Simon and Christy at a random conference years ago. And I was thinking, even while you were talking, Christy, about sowing seed, you know, it's amazing what comes from seeds of friendships, isn't it? You know, just random connections that you will make with people. And I think it's just so worth our time. You know, so often in our world these days, we can be kind of pulling back you know, and be a bit isolated and stuff. But man, it's so important, isn't it, to build those friendships. And we are just so grateful for this wonderful couple. You guys have got incredible senior pastors, amen? Why don't you give these guys a round of applause this morning? We love these guys. And uh, we love your church as well. And uh, there's so much innovation and creativity that comes out of this place. You know, and uh, Anika and I, we, you know, we, we watch a lot of the stuff that comes online and uh, some of the different things that you guys are doing. And, but even, like, it's just so wonderful even coming into your building here today and your space. Just uh, this place is bursting with innovation and creativity. There's, a, you know, there's that real sense that, you know, um, there's new ways and, uh, and adaptive thinking and stuff that's going on up here. And uh, I just want to bless that in Jesus' name this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, that in these times, Lord, in this, in this new season that you're calling the church into, Lord, it's going to take some new thinking. It's going to take some new perspectives. And I just thank you for what you have planted in this church, Lord, and just the, uh, the innovation, Lord, the creativity, the courage, Lord, that is in these, these people, even as we we're worshiping this morning, I was sensing you, God, I want to bless that today. And Father, I thank you, Lord, for just tons of new initiatives. I just see new things springing out of this house and uh, new, new, um, uh, new initiatives, new missions, new ways of doing things. And Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you're going to really uh, put a new spirit and a new vision and a new heart on this house, Lord, for this next season. And I thank you too, God, regardless of what is going on in the world, when we are walking with you, Lord, we always walk in victory. And uh, Lord, I thank you, God, that this house is going to go from strength to strength. Lord, in this city, Lord, and going to continue to be a blessing in this city and increasingly nationally and internationally, God, as you lead them in Jesus' name. We bless you today. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Well, it is, yeah, it's, as I said, it's great to be here. Um, so my name is Peter. This is my lovely wife, Anika, here. Uh, if I haven't, uh, if we haven't met before, um, we pastor a church in Auckland called the River Christian Church, and so we've got a church in Pakaranga, which is in East Auckland, and uh, we have another church down in uh, Pukekohe, which is kind of south of Auckland, and uh, we planted that in 2019, and 2020 was going to be our year of momentum down there. We're going to take the world in 2020, and uh, yeah, other stuff happened. Um, don't know if you know about any of that, but... Uh, you know. It was, those were some rough years, but, um, the, uh, but yeah, loving, loving pastoring and leading, and I get the opportunity to be able to travel around a little bit and minister in various churches, and I love the body of Christ. I really do. I love the expansiveness of it, and I love the fact that there's so many different churches doing different things in different parts of our country and our world, and that's what we need, right? It doesn't all, shouldn't be all homogenous and all just look the same. You know, God has got a million different ways to reach billions and billions of different people. 
And, uh, you know, I, so I, I just love being able to get along and support and, and help uh, wherever I possibly can. So I want to bring a message to you this morning. If you've got your Bibles or your devices, you can point to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel ch- chapter 24. Um, and, uh, you know, whoever has um, discussions in their family or in their house, give me a wave if you ever do. You know, we had a very, very important one the other night, a very, very important family discussion all about Luke Skywalker. It was a very, very important one. And, uh, you know, we were talking about Luke Skywalker in Star Wars Episode 8. And I'm guessing that you guys are probably okay with the occasional Star Wars reference, given that your senior pastor is a mega fan, you know. Um, but Anika and me, we kind of grew up with the original trilogy. Anyone else here? You know, the original three, you know. And, uh, and so for us, Luke Skywalker in those original three was always, he was enthusiastic and he was learning about the Force and becoming a Jedi and doing all the stuff and he was growing and, you know, he was idealistic and he had fire in his heart and he was kind of going for it. But then by the time that Ray meets him in episode eight, he's kind of over it. He doesn't really want to know about Jedi stuff anymore. He doesn't really care. Anyway, he's become kind of really cynical. You know, there's that scene where, the, where she hands him the lightsaber and he just kind of throws it away. Hopefully I haven't spoiled anything for anyone this morning if you haven't seen it yet. But you know, the discussion that we had was whether or not this was an adequate reflection of Luke's character. Because there's apparently a bit of debate about it. We've got a, a young guy who's come to live with us who's a bit of an expert on such things. He said, look, there's big debates as to whether or not this was an accurate reflection of Luke's character. Because some said, you know, he's, he's not like that. You know, he would never be like that. He would always be passionate and excited and, you know, kind of taken on new ground and stuff. And I can understand that. But personally, when I look at it, I think actually there's every reason why Luke could have ended up a little bit like that. Because, you know, whether you're a Star Wars fan or not, I think we've probably all experienced this either in our own lives or by seeing the lives of others. So often as people get older, they lose their enthusiasm and their passion. It's tragic, isn't it? And we often can become a little bit more cynical. And rather than being an example for the generations to come, we kind of turn into the cautionary tales. (laughs) It's kind of like, look away to me, you know. But I'm always interested, though, in what the factors are and what the key decisions are that we make along the way that either keep us fired up for God or that, you know, we end up kind of losing our fire and waning. How many know you can lose your fire as a Christian? You absolutely can, you know, and uh, the sad thing is that it should be that, you know, the Bible says our God's a consuming fire. It should be the longer that we hang out with Him, the more fired up we get. But why is it? that people who seem to spend longer in the presence of God, the ones who've been walking with God longer, can often end up more cynical and more grumpy and with less fire. Like, what's with that? Why does that happen? And, you know, it, it seems to me that there's a bunch of reasons why we can lose our fire. You know, one of them is that we don't process disappointment well. Another one is that sometimes we get prayers that don't seem to get answered. Anyone? You know, sometimes those things can make us lose our fire. But there's another one that I want to look at today. And that is this, how you react when someone treats you badly. How you react when someone treats you badly. I reckon that that is actually one of the biggest marks of spiritual maturity. You know, so often people would say spiritual maturity is I know a lot of the Bible. I can quote all these verses and I can explain theology. Or I'm spiritually mature because Jesus comes and takes me on lots of trips to heaven. And I can prophesy over people or lay hands on people and see God work in powerful ways. And those things matter. 
I mean, it's important, you know, to have spiritual experiences and to know the Word of God. That, that, that matters. But so often, I've seen people who would call themselves mature Christians who turn ugly when people treat them wrong. Ugly. That's the, that's the title of my message today. How to respond when you've been wronged. Now, I'm hoping this is going to be a blessing for you today, maybe a bit of a, a challenge or a reminder, or at any rate, that we would walk in greater freedom and greater life that we would grow, and most importantly, guys, that we would keep our fire to the end, that we would not lose our fire and our passion and our heart for the things of God. Amen. So here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 24, and this is the story of David and Saul. Perhaps you're familiar with it. King Saul is trying to kill David, and the reason is that King Saul is incredibly insecure and views David as this massive threat. He thinks that David is trying to take over the kingdom and dethrone him as king, and he's absolutely paranoid about David, and he couldn't be further from the truth. David is his most loyal guy. I tell you what, I think I talked about it last time I came up about insecurity. Man, insecurity will make you see people who are actually your greatest friends as your biggest enemies. Really can. Like, if if we are insecure, we've got to get that stuff out of our life. Otherwise, we start getting a wrong perspective of what's going on, man. And, and Saul had like the biggest wrong perspective of who David was. David would have laid his life down for Saul. He would have done anything for him. But instead, David is on the run because Saul is trying to kill him. And here in 1 Samuel chapter 24, I'm reading in the NIV, reading from verse 1, it says this. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. The crags of the wild goats. Ever been on a wild goat chase? That's what's going on here. Verse 3, he came to the sheep pens along the way and a cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. And the men said to David, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, but no. This is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. So he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or even lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and he went on his way. And so after this, David comes out of the cave and he bows down before Saul. And he shows him the the piece of his cloak that he's uh, he's cut off. And he says, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to kill you. I'm really not trying to do this. And Saul has this change of heart towards David and he leaves him alone, you know, for a while at least. But what I think David does here actually is pretty darn incredible. Because if you think about it, if you had someone who was hunting you, and this person, if they found you, was going to kill you. I mean, he wasn't just looking for David to kind of bring him in to have a, you know, a little crucial conversation chat. He wanted to kill him. He was after him and searching everywhere for him. And you can imagine David and his men, they're there in this cave. And in walks Saul. He's by himself. He's unarmed. He's vulnerable. And in that moment, David has this one shot, this one chance to basically finish it all right there. All of the running, all of the hiding, everything that he's, all of his men and everyone who's with him is all having to go through. It can all be ended right here, right now. All he has to do is basically pull the trigger on this one and it's gone. It's done. And you know, wouldn't you take it? <laughs> I mean, it's one of those situations of either kill or be killed, right? Right? 
And it's interesting when you look at this passage because providence was there. I mean, what are the chances, what are the chances that all of the men will be in the cave and Saul comes in by himself? I mean, anyone would look at that and go, surely God is involved in this. It's got to be. Providence seemed to be saying, take the shot. The people around him, you know, they were all saying, go for it, David. And, you know, as pastors, we're often saying to people, you know, when you're making life decisions, talk to the ones who are around you. Get that wisdom that's in the counsel of many. Everyone was saying, David, this is your moment. And not only the people, but prophecy is also saying to him at that point, hey, wow, you know what? This is the moment. This is the day that has been spoken of. So he's got providence. He's got people. He's got prophecy that are all lining up and saying, take the shot. But there's something wrong. The principle is missing. The principle isn't there. Despite all of the visible evidence saying, do it, do it, do it, David knew that he would be violating something deep within his belief system in order to take out Saul, so he doesn't do it. He chooses not to. You know why? Because he can see something greater. Every action that we take in life comes from something that we believe. And our beliefs are embedded in what is known as our worldview. Anyone heard of worldview before? Yeah, so it's the lens by what we look through the world at and the filter by which we decide if something is ultimately right or wrong. And it's interesting because worldviews are kind of built from a number of things, but a lot of worldviews have at least two or three things in common. Number one, they have a creation story, how we got here, why we're here. And they also, too, have a destination story, where we're going, where all of this stuff is going to end up. And the creation story and the destination story inform inform the purpose story. Because they basically say, you put those two stories together and that tells you what's important while you're here. And it's interesting because we live in a world with a very strong worldview. Our society and, and the world and the culture that we live in here in New Zealand has a very strong worldview. And it's informed by the creation story. What's, what is the creation story? Well, um, our whole universe was in a hot, dense state. And then 14 billion years ago, expansion started. Wait. It's the Big Bang. It's this idea that billions of years ago, there was this massive explosion. All the planets started rotating. And somewhere in some primordial soup, life sprang There's little single-cell paramecians, you know, floating around in the primordial ooze. And then eventually, somehow they became fish, which somehow grew lungs and got legs and crawled up onto the land. And then somehow, over the process of time, they eventually formed into all of the animals, including the monkeys, which eventually, you know, learned how to kind of stand up and use tools and do stuff, and eventually became us. And that is the creation story that most of our society believe. We are here by accident. We are not here by design. An explosion billions of years ago meant that somehow you've got life and you're walking around today. That's the creation story. And then if you look at the destination story, when you die, you're gone. There is no afterlife. There's nothing beyond this. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's no judgment. There's nothing that holds you accountable for anything that you've done in this life. And so when you've got that creation story married with that destination story, the purpose story starts becoming, you know what? Do what you want. What does it matter? Because you're here by accident. Nothing that you do is ultimately going to matter anyway. So just live however you want. 
And I think it's really important as Christians, we have to understand that when we are engaging with the world and when we're talking morality and when we're talking values and we're talking things like that to people with that worldview, that's why we get pushed back. Because they look and they say, well, who are you to tell me how to live? You know, I'm, I'm here by accident. Nothing's going to matter afterwards, so this is it. But you know, as Christians, though, we've got a very different worldview, don't we? Our worldview is that God made everything. He lovingly formed the, the, uh, the universe and the planets. And he made man and he made woman. And you know what? That your life is not here by accident. You are here by design. God formed you. He wanted one of you here on earth. And you know, I love what it says in Ephesians 2.10. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for you to walk in. So God has got a plan. He's got a mission for your life. He's given you gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you opportunities to walk in. He's going ahead of you, setting those things up in life. God is massively involved. You are not an accident. You are here by design. That's what our creation story says. And you know what? We've also got a destination story. And the destination story is that one day, every single one of us is going to stand before God and give an account for how we've lived this life. And where and how we spend all of eternity depends on the choices that we make and what we believe in this life. So what we do and what we believe counts. It actually really matters. And so obviously these two realities for us as believers inform our purpose story and they serve as important markers for the decisions that we make. But you know, I, I think that's important for us as believers to understand, but coming back to this idea of responding when we've been wronged is actually super important that we understand it. Because listen to me, if we are here by chance, and if there is nothing after us, and we, you know, basically when we die, we just disappear, and no one else is here to help us, then if you are wronged in this life, you better fight for every bit of justice you possibly can. Because there's nothing else. And you know what? If someone does you wrong and if they die, in a way they get away with it. You know, I watched a documentary on Jimmy Savile on uh, Netflix a little while ago. I don't know if anyone's seen that. Probably wouldn't necessarily recommend watching it. It's pretty horrific. I mean, this guy just abused so many kids. And you know, the fact is that right when the, government, when the, when the cops were starting to catch up with him and, and realising what was going on, and just before they were about to bring him to trial, he died. And people were furious because they're like, you know what? He got away with it. He lived his whole life and he never had to answer for anything that he ever did. But you know what? We can forget though sometimes when we are focused on the here and now of everything is we can forget the eternal perspective, can't we? And the fact that all of us one day will have to stand before God and justice will be done in that moment. And also too, because we serve a God who is alive and involved in our lives right now, Scripture tells us He is working all things together for our good. Isn't that good to know? So making things right and getting justice for when we've been wronged, I've got good news for you today. It's not all up to you. God is massively involved. And you know what? He can be even more involved in the process if we will invite Him in, if we will welcome Him in. You see, and this is the thing. This is the perspective that David had, which enabled him to do what he did in that moment and not pull the trigger. He had this perspective. He knew, despite the providence, despite the people, despite the promise to the contrary, he knew that this battle was not his to fight. And he knew that if he put it into God's hands, that God would ultimately take care of it. And you know what? He did. He did. But you know, sometimes, hey, it's really hard when we're living in this life 
and wrong is being done to us, you kind of want a bit of justice, don't you? You kind of want to meet a bit out. Meter. <laughs> kind of want, we, we want to meet out a bit of justice from our own hand. And you know what? Isn't it hard too, particularly when you see people getting away with stuff? You know, when people uh, have been doing wrong to others and they're doing it again and again and again and you're seeing them get away with it? I don't know, is that just me? You guys are all like looking at me going, man, we, we're just such righteous queer. We never feel that, Peter. No idea what you're talking. It must be an Auckland thing, man, that you guys feel down there like, you know. But, you know, it can be so hard sometimes, hey, to keep living righteously when it feels like those who aren't living righteously, who don't care about God, seem to get all the breaks. Does anyone else know what I'm talking about? You know, sometimes, you know, we're over here and we're trying to live righteously. We're doing what God has called us to do. We're forgiving, we're loving, we're laying stuff down and we're doing the hard yards. And sometimes it doesn't feel like our life is working all that well. And then you look over at someone who doesn't care about God, who's living their own thing, who's doing whatever they want to do and everything's swimming for them. And you look and you think, seriously, what does it matter? Like, why am I even doing this? Like, how is this helping me? At all. Give me a wave, please, if, if you relate to this in some way. Is that, okay, that's good. That's good. Excellent. Because I feel this stuff strongly. But, you know, there's this great psalm, Psalm 73, and it says this. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But this is what the psalmist says. He says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, when, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And it says, you know what? They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. <laughs> they are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Down in verse 12, it says, This is what the wicked are like. They are always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And then he says in verse 13, maybe you can relate to this. He says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and I love this, and every morning brings new punishments. <laughs> Ever feel like that? It's like you open up your email in the morning, it's like, there's another punishment right there. You know, you walk into work and your boss walks in and says, please sit down. And you're like, okay, here comes another punishment, you know. Every morning brings new punishments. Every day I'm living this thing and I'm trying to live righteously. And I look and it doesn't feel like it's working. And I see all these other people over there doing whatever they want. And how come everything works for them and nothing works for me? And, and verse 16, it says this. When I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply. <laughs> Until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. You see, when we try to understand all of this in the here and now, nothing makes sense. Why live for God? Why trust in Him? Why put things into His hands? It doesn't make sense. Why would you do that? But then I entered the sanctuary. I got the big picture view. I reminded myself of the creation and the destination stories. And it all started to make sense. You know, in that moment where he could have ended Saul, David was able to enter the sanctuary he was able to get that big perspective. And he's like, you know what? I can let this go. You know why? Because I know that God's got it. I know that God's got it. And you know, it's only when we enter the sanctuary and when we get that big view that things like forgiveness and handing our justice over to God actually make sense. 
Otherwise, they really don't. You know, as Christians, I think we all know that Jesus wants us to forgive people, right? Give me a wave if you've ever heard a message on forgiveness. Yeah? I think it's pretty much, we don't have to debate the scripture. We know that we're supposed to forgive. We know that as Christians. And yet, blows my mind how many Christians don't. They will not forgive. Why? Because honestly, they feel like if they forgive someone who's wronged them, they're basically saying that what happened to them doesn't matter. It's kind of like, you know, you're standing there and someone drives over you with a tank. <laughs> and then you get up, you're like, oh, every bone in my body is broken. I'm going to be in physiotherapy for the rest of my life. But God bless you. I forgive you. I really, and, and not only that, is there anything I can do to serve you and your family? As a pastor, I have people all the time saying to me, Peter, why should I forgive that person? Do you know what they have done? Why should I let them off the hook? Justice needs to be done. And you know what? I'm not saying that we never avail ourselves of the world's justice systems. I'm not saying that. And I'm not saying that there shouldn't be consequences for those who do wrongs or having crucial conversations or whatever. There are times where it's important that we engage with some of those processes. But what I am saying is that even though you might be engaging with some of those justice processes in the here and now, our trust and our hope ultimately needs to be in something and in someone greater than what is going on in this world. Our eyes need to be lifted above what is just happening in the here and now. Like David, we need to get into the sanctuary and get a fresh perspective on eternity and what all of this is about. You know, forgiveness, listen, if you don't get anything else on Saturday, get this. Forgiveness isn't us saying that what happened to us doesn't matter. It's simply us saying that we are not going to be the ones to deliver the consequences for it. You might want to write that down. That's a Good quote right there. Forgiveness isn't saying that what happened to us doesn't matter. It's simply saying that we are not going to be the ones to deliver the consequences for it. I love what Louis Giglio says. He says, it's important to remember that the grace of God and the reconciliation process doesn't abdicate the process of justice. It just reassigns justice. When you forgive, you resign from being the arbiter and the effector of the justice against that person, and you choose instead to assign that role to God. What it's saying is, I was wronged and God understands it. So I'm not going to spend my life fighting for justice on this. I'm going to put this into God's hands, and I'm going to let him deal with this. And I'm going to trust he's going to do that either in this life or in the next life, or maybe in both. And what I've found personally with forgiveness is that it's not a one-time treatment. I mean, it's not just kind of like, oh, well, I forgive, you know. On the next day, pop the pill in once and you're done. What I've found is this is a medication that you need to take daily until symptoms cease. <laughs> you've, got to keep, you've got to stay on the meds. You've got to keep taking it. Continue to bring things to God until they turn around. I love this in Luke 18. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. You know, it's so funny, man. So many Christians are like, yeah, I prayed about it. It means they prayed once. You know, Jesus, every time Jesus talked about prayer, he nearly always linked it to persistent prayer. Again and again and again and again. That's the way that Jesus wants us to pray. And he said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. So what's happened here? This woman's been wronged and she's seeking justice. She's looking for something to change in this situation. So if you've been wronged, if someone's done something wrong with you, you are the woman in this particular situation. 
And then in verse 4, it says, For some time the judge refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. This guy's starting to get scared of his own life because of the boldness of this woman. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And get this. Let this one go right in your spirit today. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? You know, God is not the unjust judge. He wants to give us justice. He wants to be involved. And Jesus is basically saying, if someone who doesn't want to help is eventually going to be turned around by persistence. How much more your loving Father who actually wants to be involved, who actually wants to help you. God expects us as Christians to be bringing justice issues to Him day and night, regularly. And His promise, guys, is that if we bring those issues to Him, He will act. He will sort it out. That is God's promise to each and every single one of us if we will bring it to him, and that is what David understood, and that's what we need to get as well. And you know, finally, you know why it's so important that we bring our hurts and our pain and stuff to God rather than dealing it with ourselves? Because when we delegate it to God, we can get on with our mission, we can get on with life. You know, one thing that I've seen again and again and again, it breaks my heart, is people go through life and something hits them, they get wronged by someone or a situation, and it's like they stop. And this, suddenly their entire life now becomes about that moment. And you know, the, tra- the most tragic thing is when that moment happened 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. And when you meet them today, they're still raw. They're still hurting. They're still angry. They're still seeking justice and recompense for something that happened so, so long ago. And it's, still, it's, it's become like this orbit that they're stuck around and they, they can't get back on their mission. They can't do what it is that God has called them to do and put them here for because they're continually looking back, orbiting around this thing that happened so, so long ago. You know, maybe there is a crucial conversation or some boundaries to put in place. Maybe there's engagement with the justice system that's required. And that's fine, but I want to say today, you know what? Let's get our eyes above all of that. Let's remind ourselves of the bigger picture. Let's get into the sanctuary. And remind ourselves of who God is. You know, Anika and I, when we started pastoring 17 years ago, we made a vow to God. And our vow went like this. We said, we're going to finish this race loving God, loving people, and loving His church. Because you know what? There's been so many leaders who haven't finished it doing those three things. And we thought, you know what? We want to finish this loving God, loving people, and loving His church. I want to say, I have been tested on that so many times. <laughs> I've had to go back to that vow so many times because honestly, just in this role, and look, I know we could go right across the room today and hear different stories of different people. Life can be just so unfair. People can be so horrible and so mean. There can be unbelievable things that get said to you and done to you in this life. And I'm not saying for a second that any of that stuff is right. But you know, and so many times, my own journey, that stuff has come to me and I just wanted to quit. I'm like, I'm done. I'm over this. I don't want to have to put up with this anymore. And I get angry and I want to get even and I want to fight and I want to keep my reputation. I want to make sure that everyone out there knows my side of the story, that they've all heard really what happens. And, you know, I'm running around trying to, you know, justify myself in all these different places. But then I get into the sanctuary. 
then I get into that place in worship where I see the expansiveness of my God. And I see eternity. And I realise that actually my God is for me and He's involved in absolutely everything. And I know in that moment that I can take this thing that is eating me up. Isn't it funny how we talk about anger eating us up? Because that's what it does. It eats us up from this. I can take that thing and I can hand it over to him and say, Lord, I am delegating this one to you. And you know what I have found? Every time I have delegated something like that to God, he's not only sorted it out, but he's sorted it out better than I ever would have in a million years. And you know what? There's certain things that I've delegated and they still haven't been sorted out. But I know one day that ultimately everything, all the scores will be settled. And that God will actually make everything wrong, that is, make right everything that has been wrong. If I can trust him and if I can put it into his hands. Why don't we stand just as we finish up this morning, if I just get a, a keyboard or so the worship team up. You know, David didn't take that shot because he knew that God held his future and he was actively involved in his right now. And I love what Psalm 28, 7 says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. No, maybe you're here this morning or maybe you're watching us and joining us online today and you're struggling right now with something that someone has done or has said to you and it's going around and around and around in your heart. Why don't you just close your eyes right across this building today? Father, we just come to you this morning and Lord, I thank you, God, for every single person who is here today. And Lord, we all have these moments, Lord, where we have been wronged. Wronged by situations, wronged by people. Sometimes we've been wronged and it's been absolutely accidental and unintentional. Other times we are wronged and it's been totally intentional. And there are people who have been absolutely out to try to destroy us, just like Saul was trying to destroy David. And Lord, we just want to acknowledge this morning, Lord, that that stuff hurts. And Lord, that so many of us have ended up with pain and with brokenness and with hurt in our life as a result of the words or the actions of others. But Father, in this space this morning, in this place, Lord, I thank you, God, that your word says, who the Son sets free is free indeed. And Lord, I thank you for the freedom that comes into our life. Lord, when instead of trying to be the carriers out of our own justice, we can come like David did and we can put that into your hands and say, God, we trust you. Lord, we trust you, Lord, not only in this life, we trust you in the next life. Lord, like that widow, we come knocking at the door and we say, Lord, would you give me justice? Lord, would you move? And Father, I pray today, Lord God, for every situation. Lord, I'm asking for freedom today, particularly too for those who are here in this meeting and they've been dealing with stuff for long term. For those who are still hurting after 20, 30 years of dealing with something. Father, I thank You that today is the day of freedom. Right here, right now is the moment of freedom. Right here, right now is the day that just like Paul and Silas as they worshipped and that, that jailhouse was shaken. Lord, all the doors flew open and the prisoners came free. Father, I thank You that today is the day of freedom. And what I wanna do this morning is just invite you as I finish up right now. The, if, if this is a current thing for you, if you're kind of like, you know what, I've been holding on to some stuff and either I need to come and just lay it down before God 
Or maybe I need to come today and say, God, I am choosing to forgive that person. I'm choosing to let this situation go. Whichever way it is, we just want to create the space for you to be able to come this morning and to be able to bring that to God. Why don't you just slip out of your seats right now? No one, no one else is looking. This is just between you and God. But I'm telling you, there's freedom this morning. There's freedom here today. As we leave the stuff in the past, we say, you know what? Today, Jesus, I'm going to look to you as the one who can set me free from stuff that's gone on in the past and for the, for the, the things that have been spoken and done against me. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the space this morning, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for freedom and for healing to flow today, Lord, as we bring this to you. And Lord, I pray, God, that every single one of us would live in the sanctuary, that we would live in that place, Lord, where we see the expansiveness of all that you can do and all that you are capable of. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. You could just come. There's going to be a ministry team come this morning and just come and pray and, and minister for people. But uh, we just invite you to come this morning and, and we'll pray and we're going to see God's freedom move in this place. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.